Welcome back to GM Talks. I'm Keegan. Uh, my lovely assistant Brennan is going to be out, and you know he's lovely because uh, we don't show our faces. Uh, I'm joined by uh, Andrew Logan. He's going to be talking about some of the games he's running and some of the tips. Mm-hmm. Some tips. Well, I, I don't know how much I'll be available on the tip situation, but I'll try. All right. Well, I mean, uh, tips being how you process and do the information yourself, right? Like. Everyone does it differently, so if someone listens to how you run a game, I figure they might go, that's a good idea. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I believe you were telling me that you were running uh, Strahd. Yeah, um, so Strahd is the third, um, fifth edition campaign I've tried tried to run. Um, Second time I've tried to run uh, Curse of Strahd as well. Um, And it is going fantastic. Um, We started... Uh, just but just after all the quarantine stuff went down, um, so one of the players I've never actually met face to face, even though we live in the same town. Uh, but that's going really well. Um, I've been trying to adapt it to make it fun. Okay. Um, just adding a lot of little things that make me happy as a DM. Um, st- stuff that kind of trolls the player. And makes them scared at the same time. Oh, give us an example of one of those. Um, so this is the best case, um, and I think the players have figured this out. But there's a creepy doll maker in one of the towns of uh, Barovia, and he's been commissioned by Straw to create dozens upon dozens of these same exact doll. And so I've been having Straw send out these dolls via innocuous ways like having them just dropped in the middle of the road, having them being put into the players' uh, knapsacks at night. And the players are freaking out about this because it's the same creepy doll with that same creepy smile. And they're like, this this is a magic doll of some sorts. When when in actuality, it's Straw trying to figure out a good way to um, scry on the players. (laughs) That's actually pretty good. Uh, It actually kind of reminds me of, uh, do you ever play Dungeon Crawl Classics? I have not. Um, because of your um, meme page, the bunch of geeks, I've been wanting to try it, though. Okay, there's a, uh, there's a setting called Shutter Mountain, and it's essentially fantasy Appalachia. Okay. And they get transferred to, like, old abandoned, like, witch moonshiners. Uh-huh. And every... And it's a level zero funnel, so, you know, everyone who dies... Or there's going to be just a lot of character death in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everyone who dies, later on, they will find a corn husk doll of the character who died. Oh, that's fun. And then partway through the adventure, they come alive and then start doing just one point of damage as they swarm the players if they do it. And sometimes the player is unfortunate and they just hoard all of them thinking they're important. And then all of them come to life, and they're just swarmed and eaten by these corn husk dolls. Yeah. Kind of reminds yeah, no, me of that. It, it's one of those things where, like, I'm playing on the tropes of horror with that. You know, like uh, Annabelle and Chucky, where yeah. the players are like, this is terrifying. What's going on here? And it's one of those things where it's fun for me to sit back and giggle to myself because I know what it is. I think as um, a DM, that's one of the things we need to focus on is there's two games being played. You know, you have your upfront players playing DMD or whatever system you want to talk about. And uh, the DMs are trying to extract enjoyment from them in some sort of fashion. So it's not so much a you versus me. It's like a more of a barter system of like, how much fun can I give you? And how much fun can you give me back, um, essentially? So... I certainly agree with that uh, that sentiment. Our last episode, we were definitely talking about GM enjoyment, so in our constant ramblings. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, for me, the enjoyment comes from seeing reactions. I like telling stories. Uh, that's a big thing that really drove me to RPGs and other uh, formats, um, such as LARPs or even more like collective storytelling. Yeah. Um, is is getting that telling the story, seeing how we can collaborate. Um, so it's it's all good time. Um, but 
yeah, going back to the Curse of Strahd, my wife actually um, wanted me to say um, she's been enjoying it. She's I got suckered into playing D and D when we first started dating about five years ago, and she swears I think she is evil. I have literally dropped a house on her during this session, during one of the last sessions, actually. So that's always fun. Nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you'd mentioned that you'd run, tried to run Strahd before. Uh, did it just schedule conflicts uh, knock that down? or? Yeah, it was a bunch of uh, schedule conflicts. I was trying to run it um, on Sundays uh, once every two weeks, and uh, it just didn't pick up. Um, I mean, it was a shame because it was a good group of people. Um, Strahd seems to be one of the harder modules to sell to people, I think. Really? Uh, um, I just... Yeah, it's... <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's just, no, it's more because of, like, you're trying to sell, like, hey, this is going to be a horror D&D session. Like, this is going to cause you a lot of, like, feelings, and you're not going to be the big bad hero of most fantasy settings. I think that's kind of fair. I usually, I've heard, at least from people I know, nothing but positive buzz from their players wanting to play Strahd. And I think part of it is that Strahd's kind of become a meme in that community. So, okay. But that's just my personal experience of it. I, I certainly agree to some extent uh, with older versions of Ravenloft. I did always get some pushback when I was back in the 3.5 days. Uh, yeah, I so I didn't start playing D and D till about ten years ago, so I missed the whole three point five phase of things. So I I kind of wish we could go back to that sometimes, but I get that feeling. But man, do I not want to! <laughs> uh, and nothing against three point five. Actually, like I love three point five. It was my training wheels game. It's what I cut my teeth on. When I started running games, the uh, the problem was is everyone did some sort of derivation of the D20 system at that time period. Mm-hmm. So you D20'd out hard. And because we played it for five, six years, various campaigns, and occasionally even different quote-unquote games, you found all the kind of pitfalls and things like that to where you kind of hit a bit of a snag of burnout. That's why I, I tried Pathfinder 1st Edition, and while it was nice, I just I just couldn't get into the same spirit that I used to when I first started. Yeah, um, so when I started, the DM I was following, um, he was a 2nd Edition player back in 2010. This guy was old school, and... Then I actually started reading like fourth edition. I'm like, what? This this looks so much more fun. Why can't we play this? And then you start playing fourth edition, and you're like, oh, this is just overpowered fantasy booking at this point. Like, I feel like fifth edition at least has like leveled out, and it feels like more of the older editions. I think in some aspect, I, I I get that. There are certainly aspects of fifth edition, or I'm sorry, not fifth, uh, fourth edition. I like. But I think the issue is, for myself personally, is it's not so much the high fantasy or overpowered thing. That's fine, because the game was built to be balanced, and it shows. It's why there's so much crunch with it. But there are things from uh, from fourth. I actually implemented my fifth edition games because they're just good, good concepts, and I think Wizards of the Coast actually didn't include them in fifth because of all the fourth edition pushback. Okay. Um, what are some examples of that? Uh, one is Minions, actually. Minions okay. is a great concept. One of the greatest concepts 4th edition ever brought to the table. And that was because it... Minions was, you got a tenth of the experience for the enemy, but they only had one HP. So you could swarm them with a lot of little guys, and there were level 20 Minions, so these things could go toe-to-toe briefly with a level 20 character, hit them, do damage, be kind of a threat in large groups, but you only had to hit them once and they were done. Yeah, I remember Minions. Um, Actually, uh, I tried doing my own podcast with a group of friends ages ago. Um, It's never got off the ground. Um, But we actually had a catchphrase, one of our the newer players was always saying. And so he was like doing all this damage, and then the DM was looking at him and was like, 
it was a minion. <laughs> so nice. And I just like that concept. The other concept I really like and I do implement in my game still is bloodied. And that's when an enemy had half HP and they got something extra. Or oh, yeah. if they knocked someone else to half HP and that person was bloodied, they could do something extra to that person. So like for dragons, if a dragon is bloodied, if it didn't get its breath weapon back, it got its breath weapon back. Okay. And that makes it Yeah, a, I remember that. Yeah. yeah. It makes it a bit more of a threat. It makes it a little more interesting. It makes it more engaging, quite frankly. I like the concept of dynamic fights. Yeah. And legendary actions certainly add that, but certain concepts like bloodied and things like that I thought were just really good concepts. Yeah, I might even look into that for um, some of my own games and everything. Yeah. Um, especially with, again, going back to Curse of Strahd, you have the big bads of Strahd there, so um, that could be easily played around with. So I do like the layer of actions you can do, though. Oh, I think I, that's I a great addition. Agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree to that. I think, no, I don't know if anyone had layered actions in 4th edition. I haven't looked at those books in some time. Uh, going back to Strahd, actually, I've actually, as a as a GM personally, I've actually always had a bit of trouble running uh, pre-made modules. I cut my teeth basically on doing original content and things like that. And so I never got into the habit of reading modules, picking ideas, things like that. There was sort of uh, elitism, especially in those days, that kind of permeated the culture about that. And I kind of regret it because there are certainly modules I'd like to play, but I know that I get a little too strict and stringent with those modules. I ran Horror on the Orient Express last year, and I fell into a couple of those pitfalls. And so it's just a skill I haven't flexed. I know you said you're adding your own content to Strahd. What other things do you do for running modules to make it flexible so it doesn't feel like it's on rails? Um, well, Strahd's a little bit different because I feel like you can, it's a very big sandbox and it's just a bunch of toys you can use. And you can pick and choose what toys you want and do not want to use. And you can choose to use it at any given time. I think that's with a module like this and also, um, the Tomb of Horrors or Tomb of Annihilation from 5th edition, you can just pick and choose what you want to do and you can just have fun with it. It's more about reading the room, reading the players, and the players have no idea what's in the book. That's I don't need to know everything in the book at that at a given time, so you just make it up. Okay. Who, who cares? Um, I'm all about the story rather than mechanics. Um, there's been times where I'm reading midway through um, a stat block and mm -hmm. realize my players are not going to be able to handle this. Let's make this as a, a challenge as it should be. Mm -hmm. and we'll have it in when it seems appropriate to end. It doesn't matter how much HP this thing has. That's so. I, um, I, for certain games, especially fantasy games, because I don't usually go high fantasy, I, actually, I go more sword and sorcery, okay. is I very rarely, if ever, downgrade a monster or upgrade a monster. And how I do it that way is that it's just... The players need to learn to flee. And if they don't flee, then what I do usually is they're captured or something like that first time, if it's a TPK. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I like the, the looming danger, right, of, oh, this monster is crazy strong. How are we going to beat it? And I've actually had players surprise me with ingenuity where I've had a group of I think they were level 7 characters going up against a custom CR 12, CR 13 monster and walking away mm -hmm. so yeah and so there is going to be a point where I do that in Strahd though once they enter in the castle that's going to be like I'm not pulling punches anymore hope you guys have learned enough to do this um, and there would be probably some games where I could see myself also doing that from the word go. Uh, but I think this is more, again, during the situation, I see this as escapism. Uh, yeah. I want the players to not worry about it. This isn't the time where you have, like, a con game. When you have, a, like, some of certain con games, 
um, and I mean like at the conventions and everything, um, where you worry about the dice, you worry about how to make it through, how to solve the puzzles quickly, and that's the attempt of everything. You're trying to get through this thing as quick as possible with as little death and see what the challenge is. Mm-hmm. That's fair. So I also have a rule, especially for D&D, is uh, that character's first se- first session, there is no death. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, that's my own little house rule, only because... A, if they're a new new player and they just genuinely didn't know the mechanics, it's kind of shitty to kill them. It, that's a great way to make them go, man, role playing's for the birds. And two, if someone tries a character class they're not familiar with and they're they're experimenting and it goes poorly, then they're more likely to fall on just the familiar. Yeah, I can see that. And that's a very good rule. Um... I, it's just one of those things where I want to see, again, going back to, this is, again, Strahd is more story-based. I have ran, um, I tried to update the, um, oh, I should have been prepared for this. I tried to update a second or first edition module, um, and you can tell the players weren't having fun with it. It was uh, one of the dungeon del- uh, delves. Okay. Um, where at the end you're supposed to face the, um, you're actually supposed to face like a god at, at one point. Uh, but they got slugged down through fifth and sixth level, whereas this became like a too much combat, enough enough role playing. Okay. So it's also, so there, I don't know why I transitioned in such a weird way. It feels like there was a thread there and I lost it, so I apologize. But I think it's also about reading your audience, making sure they're engaged, making sure they're having fun, having a good time, no overall, I guess. Oh, certainly. So. I think those dungeon crawls, too, there, there is a lot of role-playing opportunity in old first edition dungeon crawls, even, because what mm-hmm. a lot of people forget, or they don't know, is there are a lot of reaction tables. Yeah. So you do a wandering mon- monster chart, you roll, you determine how far away they are, if, they're, if both sides are aware of each other, and if the enemy is open to conversation yeah and i think that's that's part of what might make those adventures seem too combat heavy especially newer gamers yeah Uh, and it was a newer group too so that might have been it it's a and it's a it's once again it's a skill on the dm too dm and players especially getting in is see monster fight not potentially see monster negotiate or see monster talk them down kind of thing create a temporary truce or something like that. Because you can also roll on that table to see if that wandering monster is at full HP or not. That is true. Um, I mean, it was one of those things where it it also kind of died because of, um, again, player schedules. That's the number one killer of all games is player schedules, it feels like. Uh, Um, But it's one of those things where I'd like to run it again because it's another classic uh, module. Mm-hmm. Um, Which one? It's just me asking. It starts off with ho- the village of Hamlet. Um, oh yes, uh, that's the one before the Temple of Elemental Evil, right? Yes, Temple of Elemental Evil. That's what I was trying to run. Okay. Uh, from my understanding, from at least a lot of the old school gamers I've talked to, is a lot of them did heavy, heavy modifications to the tomb, tomb of Tele- uh Oh God, the Temple of Elemental Evil. Yeah. It's, it might be one of those things where I need to print it out because I was trying to like read it on my phone. Mm-hmm. And it might be one of the ones where I actually block off a weekend and sit down and actually do the work I don't like doing. That might be. Um, I would say that's actually one of the overhyped adventures of old D&D. I, I wouldn't say you're not wrong, <laughs> but Tomb of Annihil- uh, Temple or the Gary Gygax Annihilation Temple. Yeah, the Tomb of uh, Horrors. Tomb of Horrors. There we go. Tomb of Horrors. I've read that thing and I've watched videos on it. Mm. And man, that was... I, I I don't know why Gary Gygax wanted to make people cry all the time. Maybe he was a vamp that needed to be sustained <laughs> on nerd tears. But I, I definitely like the old Tomb of Annihilation because it did provide character ingenuity. Uh, and player ingenuity, and I've heard some 
hilarious stories about how people have gotten through the tomb. My favorite one was apparently some, car some players heard about the tomb and then went on an adventure and bought every livestock animal within a 10 mile radius of the tomb and then just grindhouse them through triggering all the traps and oh. got to the end. Oh, that's smart. And and so and it's like Dark Souls, right? Like the Tomb of Horrors is supposed to be, yeah, it was hard, it was a grind, but when you get to the end of it, you feel accomplished. Yeah. Adventure I would recommend for you, if you are interested in trying out some old school adventures and just updating them, doing a one-to-one -one update to 5e, is Tomb of the Reptile God is a very good adventure. I've heard that too, and if I remember correctly, that starts off like a huge campaign if you go through like the next two modules as well. You can. It's, um, uh, it's they all, it, I don't think it went into a huge campaign. I know there were three sequel modules, but the lovely thing about the first edition and the basic edition actually modules is, is you probably weren't going to hit the end level if you f did the mm -hmm. whole adventure. So it was supposed to be that you could throw in tons of those modules in your game and still hit all of them and be within the levels you needed. Yeah. Um, it, it's, that's on the list. Um, I think the next game I really want to run is, and it might be like seeing where the players are feeling, is probably um, Castle White Rock I from... From uh, DCC, oh, okay. it's one of their, it's one of their three uh, E, oh, okay. and again is similar to uh, Temple of uh, Elemental Evil. Um, I what need to download it and read it, but this like the tagline catches my eye. It seems really interesting, um, and there's also I'd like to maybe run some more modern stuff as well, um, stuff like uh, Mage. Um, Changeling, um, even maybe like an updated Call of Cthulhu modern setting. Okay. So that, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I run lots of games, man. I get it. I have so many books that I want to get to. <laughs> it's it's just, an addiction. I just don't have the time. Uh, yeah. No, I heard the old DCC for 3.0 was uh, really good, so... I'm sure you have a lot of fun. Goodman Games mm -hmm. also did some uh, updates to old school adventures into 5e adventures. Yeah, I've been meaning to check them out more. I've been, um, especially again, going back to the Bunch of Geeks um, page that you run. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of those things where you've posted a lot about them. They seem like a good company. So I'm going to try to check them out. I was really excited to ch check them out um, at. Um, Gen Con, but maybe next year. Yeah, next year. Uh, yeah. But, no, and I... That's that's good, uh, especially because they retroactively are now letting you uh, get PDF copies of hard copy books you bought off of their website. Well, oh, that's really nice. That's really good. Yeah, so... Super cool. They also did a reprinting of Grim Grimlock's uh, Traps. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I'm not. I'll have to look it up. Oh, it's, it's hysterical. It's just a book of very creative traps. You have to come up with the DCs for them, but they're insane. They're hilarious. So one of them is it's a pit trap, and at the bottom it's whipped cream because whipped cream is dense enough to where you will drown from it, but it is light enough to where you sink and you can't swim to the top. Yeah. And it's slick if you try and grab a rope. Uh. <laughs> or one is a uh, a waterfall trap where it's not actually a waterfall it's powdered diamonds that is flowing like a river so if you stick your hand into it it's like putting it through a diamond saw uh, yeah <laughs> oh man <sighs> but no I'm so I guess back to Strahd then just mm -hmm. real quick, because I am curious, because I don't have Strahd, is I know it's the most sandboxy of all the 5e adventures, with maybe the exception of Tomb of Annihilation. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any amusing stories about where your characters went a little off the rails in that sandbox? Oh, where? So it's always going to be the, the bone grinder, the bone grinder house, the three witches. I think that's going to be the thing where players could just leave that thing alone and they'd be happy. But no, 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 no. They always seem a way to go back and want to destroy that thing. Um, I guess it's just the hero aspect of it. And so you kind of have to just anticipate that. Um, just off the rails, it just is... I, I never feel like it's been just off the rails. It feels like I might have to take, like, hey, guys, give me 10 minutes while I go get grab a beer. And I'll put myself on mute and just start reading as fast as possible. Um, <laughs> That's kind of a nice thing about an online game, isn't it? It, it, it absolutely <laughs> is. So, so they're not sitting there judging you. You feel the eyes where I'm like, why aren't you prepared? Yeah, right. Because uh, I didn't think you'd be this fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, and it's just like, just going through it, it's like the, the absurdity is like, all the players, we have two halflings, we have a half-elf, and we have a warforged. So, of course, everybody's looking at the robot like, what the hell is this thing? <laughs> uh, but, you know, no, it's, it's the less you prepare, the less your players can surprise you. I think that's kind of true. I, I don't know about that. Uh, but I'd mentioned it in the last, last one. For my homebrew games, what I do is I just write down, especially for story-heavy story games, is I write down what the antagonists are doing and what will happen if the players don't intervene. Ooh, yeah. And then just kind of go from there. Then you have clear motivations, and you have at least an idea of how the person would react and try and course correct, right? Yeah. So to be fair, like, when I say the least prepared, like, I have a general idea of where players are probably going to go and everything and how it's going to happen. Yeah. But... It's, it's one of those things where, like, you're expecting one battle and then they go do another one. It's like, okay, fine, I kind of know where this is going to go as well. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, what's helped me prepare for that is, um, because I used to LARP, I used to do storytelling for that as well. So that is a completely different skill set, but you kind of learn that you have to be at least able to be on your feet for that. Okay. And you go into the same thing what you are saying about is, you do have stuff written down or in the back of your head. If they do X, then uh, Y is going to happen. But if they don't do X, Z is going to happen. So that's that's one of the things where if you feel like you're bor- burnt out on like tabletop or you're burnt off just trying to do uh, tabletop DMing, maybe go look at um, trying to LARP and ST in that sense. Um, the, the community, I think, is great still. Um, and despite what people think, but you can, I, you can find good people there. And it's always, again, going back to the give and take of story elements, I guess. Yeah, no, like, certainly. Yeah, the sharing of feelings. So that leads me, you just uh, gave me a great, great question to ask you then. And you touched on it a little bit, but I know you mentioned that they are different skill sets, uh, GMing a, a LARP and GMing a tabletop, but what skill sets do you think crossover and which skill set and how do you think GMing for a LARP has strengthened you as a tabletop GM? So the the, the thing is that's that's a tough question. Um, we only ask tough questions here. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought this was going to be a softball interview. Come on, man. Um, Not at all. <laughs> so what's crossover is knowing the rules um and that is also probably the bigger strength that has helped me as a tabletop um dm or st so with lark you kind of have to know the rules like the back of your hand and you kind of have to sometimes say hey i don't know what that rule is as well but you have to do that on the fly because any downtime breaks immersion ruins people's time gets people bored gets them on their phone it is a lot harder to course correct people back into game at a LARP than at a table. Um, because you've been at, you've probably been at a few tables where you're like, hey, I'm kind of bored, let me check my phone real quick. But two minutes later, you can get back into the action. Yeah. I don't think that's the same for, um, 
for LARPing. So learning the rules would be one of the big ones. Um, also, again, going with the flow. I think I've mentioned this a few times. Um, you kind of have to see where things are going um, and kind of this course correct on the fly. One time I was um, doing a convention game, and it was only about 20 people, um, and it was just myself while I wait for one of the other people to get ready, and I showed up full to interact with this one guy, and it's like, oh, you're the big, bad, evil guy. Let's all try to pile on you. So I had to be like, he ducks out using this power, and I was like, I was like okay, that's fine. Um, uh, but I wasn't expecting them to pile on this guy. He came in as an ambassador. People recognized who it was way too quickly. So oh, got it. Yeah. So it's 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 fun. I, I do miss it. Um, I haven't done a LARP since October. So okay. that's actually no September. September was the last time I was able to go to one. And um, it's just again, if you have the opportunity, try it out. Like. Um, Gen Con has a few good LARPs, um, not, and some not even associated with um, with any like organization. Um, also, try out Mega Games um, if you're into board gaming as well. Mega Games are like a hybrid between role playing and very crunch heavy mechanics. Um, so those are also fun. I ran two of those at the last Gen Con. Prior to the last time I'm running anything like that, to be honest, it's just too much of an ask for um, my time at Gen Con because I only get to play tabletops as a player at convention games. So that took out of like, I mean, I could have gone to like three different games during that time period. I guess so. so. Yeah. Yeah, that's about the time I uh, I go as a player as Gen Con uh, as well. Mm -hmm. I'll be running still this uh, digital Gen Con. All right, you have to let me know because I was actually excited to um to see you're going to be running stuff because i see your page i listen to um your podcast and i was wanting to see your style in person as well okay um and also i'm all for supporting people um it's it's tough to get like to run things to be honest because sometimes it's like man is it really worth my time are people having fun just always like at players listening tell your dm thank you buy them uh, a six-pack of beer every once in a while. They appreciate that a lot. <laughs> or buy, buy them some um, good, nutritious uh, meals. That's also really appreciated. Yeah, no, I, I lucked out with my my thing with Gen Con because I had met Dave from the Wrecking Crew, who, oh, yeah. uh, if he listens to this, he better know he's going to be on this fucking program at some point. Uh, and I'll cuss less, Dave. Don't worry. And uh, he, he, he met me at the Grand Masquerade, and then I went to a Gen Con as a player. He liked how I played, and then he asked me to run the next year, and then I ran again. Okay. Was, was that the same Gen Con, the, the Grand Masquerade we met at, where I was... Uh, yeah. To, for lack of a better terms, gone. Yeah, I, trust me, I, me too, man. Yeah, that uh, was fun. I, I'm gonna miss those. Yeah, no, it's that was fun. It was my first LARP experience, mm -hmm. and but then I got in with the Wrecking Crew, played with them, played a couple games, had a lot of fun, and it got me my door into running games with Gen Con. I've enjoyed it every time. Yeah, and um, it thank you. It takes a special braid. Um, I'm trying to um, for if I was to like try to join a group for Gen Con. I want to try to get in with Nasdrag, uh -huh. if you heard about them. I don't think I uh, have. For... Okay, so they are technically the longest running tournament at uh, Gen Con. Okay. So um, it started off when the founder tried to get into one of the first uh, Gen Con D&D tournaments and they were filled up. So he was like, fine, I'm going to start my own um, tournament. And this was 40 years ago, I think it was. Okay. Uh, and they, um, great group of people, um, really appreciate um, the, the games they've run. I've played in two other games. Uh, and again, it's tournament style. And last year, uh, me with my uh, wife, as well as four other people, uh, because we got part of a pickup game, we were able to secure fourth place. And 
with this tournament, they're focusing more on the role-playing aspect. They're focusing more on how you solve puzzles and how you stay in character. Okay. Um, so it's one of those things where you could be... It's very rules-light. Uh, they use Pathfinder as their back-end system, but uh, it's a good time. I, I suggest uh, uh, checking them out next time you can. So. Okay. Mm-hmm. I know Goodman Games uh, does a DCC or an MCC tournament game every Gen Con. I think there was the first year I went to Gen Con, they didn't actually, and that was the one that I could actually be as a pure player, so go figure. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, you get signed up, you go in with your team, you choose, it's five people you get to choose from every character class there is. And you go in, and I guess this year they're going to actually do a funnel tournament game. Oh. And that sounded fun as hell. Yeah. And every time a character dies, they the uh, the DM holds up their hand and they ring a gong. Oh, that's too funny. And then if the whole team gets through, your characters get resurrected oh, for the next I, level. That would have been fun. Uh, yeah. I, I'm going to miss uh, Gen Con this year. It's uh, one of the few times because I uh, moved about a year ago cross-country. Mm-hmm. And um, now it's one of the few times I can see some of the friends from out back east. So, um, yeah, this, this is going to be a big miss, but I'm glad they took the right precautions and everything. So Yeah, it was, it was the right call. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. the right call. Uh, and, you know, digital convention... It's fine. I probably will take my laptop and plug it directly into my modem just to be safe when I run for Gen Con, because sometimes I know my voice can click in and out when I'm running the podcast, actually, and I have to re-say things, and those parts get cut out. Uh, my editing makes it seem like we're all a bit more witty than we actually are. Well, that, that's what editing is for. Yeah, exactly. Uh. Exactly. Uh... But yeah, just, I've gotten, I'm glad that I've gotten halfway decent at running games online now because of this. So the Gen Con game will thankfully not be too terrible or a massive massive adjustment, I guess, is the right word. Yeah. And there there is a lot of different um, things to help you. Um, If you are running a game, online and you're trying to transition from tabletop uh one of the things i actually do recommend is getting pdfs and just keeping them open um as that's that's a huge thing as well as like it does free you up to do so much more looking up and not pay attention to the players uh when they're like trying to develop their schemes so even you're kind of like okay what happens next Mm -hmm. so you're kind of it kind of is like um uh almost like uh, not two rooms in a boom. Uh, Betrayal at the House on the Hill, where the um, betrayer goes off in one part and reads their book and everything. Like, you're the betrayer, and you're trying to figure out what to do, and they're trying to figure out what their strategy is. Yeah. So, that's helpful. No, I've certainly noticed that there's there's certainly a bit of... There, uh, there's certain aspects of the game that are lost not doing it in person, but there are other aspects that I've noticed. Like, people tend to focus up a bit more. Mm-hmm. When it's, I can see that. Though, for us, uh, before we record either episode, uh, whether it's uh, They Came From Beneath the Sea or Werewolf, is we spend about an hour, half an hour to an hour, BSing before the game. Oh, yeah. And that gets it out of everyone's system. I'm actually curious as to how uh, They Came From Beneath the Sea is going to play, since one of the mechanics is cards, and we do it over Discord. Um, trust? Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Well, just there's there's the act of pulling the card out. There's certain theatrics that go with it, right? That, uh, that yeah. enhance the game. Uh, not so much the trust thing. Like Burning Legend would be a pain in the ass to run, uh, 100%. But yeah, I'm excited to see um, how you run Kimberbeat to see. Um, I missed out on the uh, Kickstarter, but it looks really interesting. I need to. It's fun. Pick myself it... up a copy. I have certain issues with the story path system in places, some, and each one is different enough to where sometimes those issues are addressed and sometimes they are exasperated. But okay. I think They Came From Beneath the Sea addresses my personal issues with the system the most, and I really like that. 
All right, I'll have to get a check. Um, yeah, there's again going back to there's so many books I have or want to get. Yeah, um, I hear you. I've got Masks of Nyarlathotep sitting, and I want to run it, but if you need a player, I know somebody. Is it you? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I love me some uh, Call of Cthulhu. Um, it is. I've only played it twice. Okay. Um, I played it once at Gen Con and once at PAX Unplugged this past year. Okay. And uh, the PAX Unplugged one was more fun because that was a pulp uh, Call of Duty oh, game. Okay. And I got to be this big bad hero until I like rolled double zeros twice <laughs> and ended up like losing my memory, becoming a book nerd, and then seeing a side vamp overhead. And, or no, not a side vamp, a star vamp vampire. And it's just like this is so crazy and so high energy. Yeah, let's go. Oh man, I'm I'm actually interested in how I'm going to be able to run Conan off of Discord because that system's a bit different. Okay. And uh, I think I know how I could do it for the for the success system because it's a die pool system essentially, just backwards. Mm-hmm. But uh, the damage system is the one that's going to be like, all right, we just got to count out the random numbers, I guess. Uh, but if anyone who's listening to this knows of a good die roller in Discord for Conan Adventures and Agent Dreamed of, please drop them in the comments. Like, it would help me out for sure. And it might help anyone else who plays that game who listens to this. Yeah. Oh, like, one of them. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to send some traffic your way, hopefully. All right, thank you. No, I like. Uh, I, have you played the Conan system? Or I have not. I, so I'm not actually a big fan of Conan. Uh, okay, um, movies. Just is that your only experience with it? But, but that's yeah, that's my only experience with it is movies and seeing the hyper masculinity of the okay. um, series. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just not my cup of tea. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, um, Conan's still hyper masculine and. Uh the the short stories in the novels but at least he like he's very intelligent in the stories and they play up the intelligence factor a lot more than they did in any adaptation of the film okay like he knows multiple languages yeah okay i'll have to check it out it's been it's been one of those things where i know it's it's on the list of things it's like you should give it a try at least once my Um, yeah, uh, Conan, you also have to go with some reserve because it was written in the 19, 1930s and in some places it doesn't show, which kind of speaks volumes, not good volumes about fantasy in general. And others, yeah. uh, oh man, do 30 sensibilities come screeching at you a little too fast and a little too hard. Um, but... The one I would recommend for you, and I think the one just because of the hyper-masculine thing being kind of a turnoff, is uh, Tower of the Elephant. Okay. I think it's in the public domain, even. So you might even be able to just find it online. All right, I'll write that down. Yeah, it's a, very good. It shows uh, a compassionate side to Conan towards the end, and it's weird, and it's just kind of enjoyable. Yeah. But the system's so- kind of fun. It's a very sword and sorcery style system, obviously. Okay. Yeah, it's it's. This is one of those things where, like, I've been trying, I've been avoiding it, but like, it's. I don't know. It's just going back to like that 1930s aspect of it. It's some of the reasons why, like, I love Call of Cthulhu. I don't need the short stories though because it shows its age. Oh, certainly. Uh, but Lovecraft was certainly way more overt in his uh, his way earlier than 1930s backwardsness. Yeah. Howard, at least, claimed to be a feminist, and he at least tried to give females roles that included things, motives and, you know, agency beyond just who Conan was, which is... That's More huge. than a lot of... Well, huge for the time and huge for fantasy now. Yeah. Quite frankly. Uh, and though he did write in a lot of scantily clad women in his stories because you got paid more if you're 
story was chosen to be the cover of the magazine, and guess which images typically got on the cover? Yeah. There's a select well, few, but I actually like Cull. Cull doesn't actually show really any of its 1930s sensibilities, which is or 1920s even, because it was written before Conan. Yeah. He's a big, beefy barbarian who also contemplates his, like, place in the universe. You see, I can get behind that a lot better for some odd reason. Um, it, that seems like more, again, I talk about hypermasculinity, but it seems like more like wrestling, which I enjoy wrestling because it's mm -hmm. a, a soap opera. Yeah. And, uh, so it's Cold? Cull? K-U-L-L? -L. Okay. Yeah, Cull is very good. I, uh... There's one where the enemy tries to trap him in a mirror because the mirror shows him an image of himself, obviously, and it's an image that occasionally does things differently, and they ask him to think on it, and he's wondering if this image is him from another universe, if he is the one who is actually the reflection, things like that. And he's actually losing himself, and the mirror is going to suck him in until his friend comes in and goes, What the hell? Yeah! Yeah. <laughs> breaks the mirror. I will. I'll absolutely have to look it up. That sounds a lot better. Yeah, I, I really like Call. Uh, and I actually always recommend people with, with the understanding that these books are old and you, you can draw inspiration from them, but draw inspiration from them critically. Yes. Because you don't want those tropes to be perpetuated in your games. But... There is a lot to love in uh, uh, the Appendix N fiction of old D&D &D that I found. Okay. And I, I have to look it up. I, I have to dig up my old um, DM guide um, because I have a uh, DMG from 2.0. Okay. The 2.0 DMG is not that good. It's, it's not. It's one of those things where it's just like, oh, you'll figure it out. Yeah. And I, it's like, what? But, go ahead. But, but but tell me how to how to run this game. Uh, here's all this bunch of um, diagrams and um, charts. Okay, thanks, book. Yeah, no, I think the first edition one I really like. It doesn't really give you any ideas on stories and things like that necessarily, except in Appendix N. Mm -hmm. The book goes, this is how die prob probability works. This is a bell yeah, you curve. Talk <laughs> you talked about that in the last episode. I'm like, yeah, that's... That's how it felt, but I think not so much that Wizards of the Coast is trying to hold your hand, but I feel like they're a lot better about explaining like what you're looking for, how to build a world, how to actually um, set up a campaign and everything like that. Oh, that's certainly. Um, I, I, I like the, uh, the toolbox nature of it, though, and I think die probability is important only because you have to remember in first edition, it wasn't a roll of d20 to figure out everything. Yeah. But I, I get that. I think the fifth edition... DMG does a very good job of striking a bit of that balance, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can agree to that. But yeah, I, I, I still highly recommend anyone to pick up a PDF of the first edition DMG, just because it has some really great charts and things like that you can just add in to add flavor to your game. Okay, I'll, I'll try to look it up and um, see. It sounds It sounded really interesting when you guys were talking about it and everything, so... Yeah, it's on drive-thru, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, cool. I know you got to head out soon. You said uh, about an yeah. hour. We're about at that hour mark. Yeah, I do want to go over uh, one last thing, though. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, because you had um, brought it up with, in one of the comments, and you brought it up with uh, in the last episode. So I have a dream game I want to run. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, please. Tell me about your dream game. It is never going to happen. Because I want to run five different... Um, systems with five different players and so the concept is it's a multiverse type thing you'd start off with like D&D &D for one player uh, like a Lord of Darkness Call of Cthulhu um, some like Savage Worlds the Atomic Edition and you have them create players and you travel the, this multiverse trying to chase down people trying to figure out what's going on. You find like a, a mentor in one world and you just go through every time you change worlds, you change characters and you change systems. And that's just insane to me, but it seems like one of those things where it could be very thematic in using the crunch to influence the 
fluff yeah. in a cer certain way. And, like, I already have the big bad ending um, going on. So, again, going through, like, Savage World, uh, Changing the Lost, uh, Paul Cthulhu, and you finally go to jump after, like, this person. And you come through this huge tower, and you feel unfamiliar. You don't know anything about this world. You feel strange. And you go, and you look down at your hands, and in a moment of terror, you realize your hands have been changed to paws. <laughs> and that's where we're leaving off. Nice. Okay. Yeah, no, certainly. I, I've had a similar idea. Uh, the And I, you've probably seen the post, The Crisis on Infinite Games. Yes. Y very similar to that. I like that idea, though. I, I always enjoy the idea of system hopping. Mm -hmm. I think that's a so. lot of DM dr dream games. And then players are like, I got to memorize five different systems? No. No. It's, it's, <laughs> it's just insane. It is, but God, it's it's a dream, man. It would be. Uh, anyone else want to run a crisis on Infinite Games or World? Uh, drop the comments down below as well, because I'd be interested to see what games you would include in your crisis game. It's... Yeah, no one, no one's gonna run that. If if you've ever done it, that I I applaud you. You're a bigger man than me. Right, exactly. And you got great players. Cherish them. Yes. <laughs> really, I I have like twenty dream games. I can probably bring up a different one per episode. Yeah. <laughs> I I also want to run a twenty person um like wrestling uh online game where you actually create the storylines and have it be organic though. Um, but it's again trying to find twenty people, and it's that, at that point it's like, well, I might as well just have a lark. Why not? So, yeah, and especially an online game, right? Like an online game yeah. would be even crazier because someone's gonna click, everyone's gonna unmute at the same time, and you're gonna be inundated with like <laughs> at least six people, right? Oh, that's why you would do it via like WebEx, where I can control who to mute and unmute at any given time, have people raise their hands and everything, make it almost like. Um, make it almost like a job oh so. god oh man i'm i'm not sure if i'm i'm behind the uh the concept of making an rpg feel like a job <laughs> i know that's again that's one of the issues that, that you have to deal with so yep no, uh, I, I i hear you yep oh, all right Andrew, is there any other, uh is there any place you got social media or anything that you think people should be able to follow you at um, no, not this time, um, but I do appreciate you uh, doing this. I think it's kind of cool that you just kind of um, are just hopping on, having people um, tell their stories. So um, make sh sure to like and subscribe this episode, I guess. Yep. Like and share. Like, <laughs> like and share. share. Like, like and share. Like and share. We're on YouTube, podbeanarchive.org. You can find us on the Bunch of Gamers Facebook page. I think Twitter's a cesspool, so I'll never go there. I'll talk to you all later. Bye.